so many episode 211 millionaire next door darrow kirkpatrick you're listening to so money with award-winning money guru farnoosh torabi each day get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds authors influencers and from farnoosh herself Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It's a special week as I've been teasing for several weeks now. We have millionaires next door, and I'm so excited to unleash these five next interviews this week. This is something that I have enlisted your help for over the last several weeks, asking you to either nominate yourself if you're a millionaire next door or someone you know who has a net worth of a million dollars or more and lives in a way that doesn't necessarily allude to the fact that they are quote unquote millionaires. Because as we know, stereotypically, millionaires have big houses, big cars, take lots of vacations, expensive vacations, uh, buy fancy things, designer this, designer that. But there are several millionaires in this country who got to where they are thanks to hard work, thanks to saving diligently, being very selective about how they allocate their dollars and investing for the long run. It's generally not a sexy story. I'll I'll be honest, some of the stories this week you're going to hear, and there's not a lot of fancy this or sexy that. It's But they are true stories of how real Americans have made over a million dollars rather quickly, too. Some of these people you're going to hear from retired in their 30s. Today's guest retired at 50. So we're going to talk about what are the ingredients to becoming a millionaire next door? How do we get there? I was incredibly inspired. I think you will be, too. Our first guest today is Darrow Kirkpatrick who runs the blog, Can I Retire Yet? And the answer for Darrow and his wife, at least, was yes, absolutely. They retired at age 50 and with over a million dollars in the bank. And you wouldn't really know it. He has a modest home. He rides his bike most everywhere. And when I visited Darrow at his home a few years ago for a story that I was reporting on for Yahoo News, I don't even think I noticed a television at least on a working television, in his home. So just to paint the picture of who we're really talking about. But, uh, you know, trust me, this guy is living the life. He is happy. He is fulfilled. They are enjoying their early retirement. And they enjoyed the ride as well. This was not a penny-pinching road to retirement to becoming millionaires next door. Darrow graduated from the University of Virginia with a degree in civil engineering. He started and sold his own business. That was very instrumental in his wealth-building years. And after 29 years of programming, designing, and managing computer software, Darrow was able to retire, as I said, at the ripe age of 50. How did he do it? We will discuss this in a few seconds, but he attributes a lot of his financial success to hard work, frugality, serious saving, and having certain investing strategies. Patience, he says, helped along the way too. Additional takeaways from our conversation with Darrow, the very specific calculated way that some recurring costs like your cell phone bill, your gym membership, your cable bill can eat away at your retirement savings. How Darrow was about to retire 
And then what happened? The market tanked. His portfolio went south. What did he do? And how was he ever going to be able to recoup his losses and, by the way, send his son to college the following year? It was a very tumultuous time. And how Darrow invests his money, specifically where, how, and the exact allocation. I want to know, how much do you have in the stock market, Darrow? And he tells me very candidly. So without further ado, let's kick it off with our first millionaire next door, Darrow Kirkpatrick. Darrow Kirkpatrick, welcome to So Money, my first millionaire next door. Very excited to learn how you became a millionaire next door. Welcome to the show. Hi, Farnoosh. Great to be here. Thanks. Hi, Darrow. Yeah, so I we actually met a couple years ago. I came out to where you were the, then living in Tennessee, I believe. Right. That's right. Uh, at the time. Now you've moved to New Mexico. But mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to profile you for Yahoo because you were because you had retired at 50. That was the headline, retirement yep. at 50. So many of us just want to retire at 60 or 65, and that's a struggle. <laughs> yeah. You did it at 50, and it happens to be that you are also a millionaire, uh, more than a millionaire, and you live a very, very, uh, I would say, modest lifestyle. You're not like as the millionaires yeah. on TV are portrayed with fancy cars and yeah. big homes and diamonds and things like that. But you have a very quality life right. that's aligned with your values and your wife's values. And we're going to talk about that. And I'm on your blog right now, caniretireyet.com, where you talk about those values. And I'll just, uh, I'd like to share those with our, our listeners, just a few of them. Putting sure. others first, telling the truth kindly, giving more than getting, living simply, using less, experimenting, working smarter, being present and letting go, accepting change. Let's start with uh, yeah. let's start with perhaps living simply and using less. Would you say this was one of the sure. key aspects to your journey to becoming a millionaire next door? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a key ingredient, and it shows up in a lot of the other stories I hear too. And um, you know, it's a joyful thing. It's not something you force yourself to do. But I'm just grateful that we were happy with less and uh, living simply and enjoying some of the free things in life. Why do you think you're a millionaire next door type? Well, it seems to be, it's partly that ingredient. It's, it's appreciating a, sort of a smaller footprint lifestyle. It's also having some sort of skill that's highly rewarded in the world. So I was an engineer and a software engineer. So it's very helpful to work at it from both ends, to have some sort of career skill that results in you getting paid well, and then also having modest taste and not spending everything that comes in. What's your taste like? What, what do you mean by modest taste? Well, you know, the, the really big items that sink a lot of people are, frankly, our houses and cars. And um, those things are not ever very important to us. We do, we love being outdoors. We do lots of camping, hiking, biking, climbing. And those things don't cost a lot to, to be happy doing. Becoming a millionaire is not just something that happens overnight or that happens without consciousness and effort. At what point did you and your wife decide that you wanted to reach this achievement sooner than later? And what changes did you make to your spending uh, to achieve this? I would say it was probably our mid-30s that it, it became pretty obvious we were making more than we were spending and we valued our free time more than the money and the things. And so we started getting focused on really saving on um, how to invest well. And um, we 
I would say we made a conscious decision not to ratchet up our lifestyle because that was the time frame I started to have some success and uh, I was involved in some small startup companies. They started doing well. There were some acquisitions. More money showed up. And we made pretty conscious decisions to not upgrade our house. We just kept living where we'd been living and um, not get into higher-end vehicles and uh, sock away the bonuses and learn how to invest it well. What makes you happy? How do you spend your money to uh, live a lifestyle that is in line with your values and, and bring, brings you happiness? Well, I think it, it tends to be invest when we do spend money, it tends to be in um, tools and things, maybe some inexpensive travel, gear for doing things outdoors, uh, visiting people, you know relationships with other people are very important. Uh, it does not tend to be for us in things like bigger houses, more furnishings, nicer vehicles, more vehicles. That stuff doesn't bring us happiness. All right. Let's get into some of the more uh, specifics of being a millionaire next door. Tell me how much did you save percentage-wise? How did you save that money or invest that money? And Mm -hmm. your number one tip for somebody who wants to achieve this, this milestone. All right. Well, um, I don't have the precise numbers, but I made around a hundred thousand annually if you average it out over my whole career, and we gen we saved about a third of that um, in my high earning years. And uh, I always maxed out my company four hundred one k, so we got all the matching that they offered. But then we did quite a bit of saving outside of that in taxable accounts. So when I retired, we wound up having about half our assets in sheltered accounts and half in taxable accounts. I went with very simple passive index investing. I had to learn some lessons the hard way that uh, actively trading got me nowhere and actually left me worse off than when I started generally. So a very simple portfolio, uh, less than 10 mutual funds, very low cost. And sticking with it through thick and thin, I kept investing through the dot-com bust, through the Great Recession. I actually doubled my uh, um, some of my retirement contributions during that time. So just sticking with the plan, no matter what's going on in the outside world. I think that's really key. A lot of people who were nearing retirement at the time of the dot-com bubble bursting and later the mortgage crisis, mm-hmm. the, the housing collapse and the financial collapse of 20, I guess it's 2008, 2009. Right. Some people, their instinct was to get out, pull all their money out. And it was really to their detriment because had they stayed with the market's ups and downs and volatility a few years later, within two, three years, they would have perhaps recouped their losses. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge takeaway. Yeah, definitely. That's a funny metaphor. I do a lot of rock climbing and I really had a, there, there are times in climbing you cannot go down. The only way out is to go up. And I felt the same way during that, that if I bailed out, I was not going to be able to retire early. I was going to hurt myself financially. So the only route was to stay in, even though it was unpleasant at the time. I like that. The only way out is to keep going up. Yeah. It's yeah. a good metaphor. Mm-hmm. You also, along the way, sent a child to college. Yeah. Share that strategy with us, because so many of us grapple with, it's a choice, we feel, or we have to choose between our own retirement or sending our child to school, college. How did you afford both of those things so well? Well, you know, that is a really critical trade-off and you don't want to have regrets when it's all over. And, uh, you know, retiring early was a big goal of mine, but an even more important goal was raising our son well and providing for him. And the way it worked out for us, we actually wound up spending a fair amount on his early education. 
Uh, we felt that's what he really needed. So he wound up going to private, middle, and high school. And it was clear to us at that time that we needed to take on that expense. It was the best thing for him. Uh, he really benefited from that quality of education. And then when it came time to look at college, we said, you know, hey, you're a great student. You've got the resources. You either need to go to public university or get yourself a scholarship. And he actually wound up doing both. So he got a large scholarship to a public school. And we chipped in, but he really carried the lion's share of it. And so it was a it was a team effort. But uh, I think the early years are the most important. You know, if you invest and, and develop your child, then they're going to be able to take care of themselves later on. All right. So when you got to be 50, you don't have to tell us exactly how much you had in the bank, but wh- how did you know it was enough? Well, I, I kind of had a hobby of retirement calculators. I've written a lot of reviews on them. So I ran a lot of retirement calculators. I also did some of my own back-the-envelope calculations, and I was reading everything I could get my hands on at that time. And I knew that, um, you know, at that time, the, the golden rule was kind of this 4% rule. And I knew we were comfortably in there, uh, you know, around that withdrawal rate on what we had saved. And um, projecting things out, it looked like we were going to be fine. And additionally, I was young enough. I still intended to do some sort of work as kind of a safety valve, but it wasn't going to be required. And, and the blog came along and has provided a little income as well on top. So what are you guys doing now? What are you up to? How has retirement been? Well, it's it's awesome. Um, we've uh, since relocating, we've caught up on a lot of our bucket list items. We spent a lot of time in the mountains. We love to do that. So lots of hiking, lots of overnight trips, some climbing. And additionally, I've been working away at this blog and that's been kind of a dream come true. I've always enjoyed writing, but it, it was never my career. Uh, I got my first book out. I write several times a month on the blog. It's got thousands of subscribers, lots of traffic, and lots of great feedback. So that's kind of my creative outlet for helping other people and producing a little retirement income on the side. I'd love to ask them so many questions. Uh, I know your wife is a fan of the show. I'm trying to convert you now. <laughs> yep. What's, if, so we've, we have talked at, in depth about your journey so far and your, your steps to earning that first million and, and more. Mm-hmm. What's your philosophy on on money? What's your financial philosophy? Well, I guess uh, one very simple approach would be to say, you know, live below your means and invest the difference wisely. Um, Optimize the the few things in life that really are important to you. Spend there by all means, but don't follow the crowd and spend on everything because you, you can't optimize everything. Did you ever feel that you had any pressure to spend in a way that was not aligned with your values? I think that sometimes our environment can mislead us to right. spend in ways that uh, we don't really want to spend, but we do because it's a way to be similar and be right. accepted. Has right. where you lived and who you surrounded yourself with helped you become the millionaires next door? Yeah, I think in general, yes. My closest friends all share a similar philosophy or at least respect it. And so there was never any pushback from the people that that I'm closest to. But certainly the culture around us and sending our son to a private school, you can imagine, you know, a lot of the families there were very well off. There were pressures that we saw, um, you know, during his growing up years in terms of other people's lifestyles. And we sometimes had to draw the line and just say, we don't do things that way. That's not what we value. 
Do you think people listen? I mean, you have a blog, so you're not exactly mm. living this secret life. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but uh, what does your what do your family and friends think of your exceptional financial achievements? Well, that's a good question. You know, you don't always hear directly. Um, I, I think you know, I, I get questions. So I know people respect the fact that yeah, he did it, so he must know something. So I get some interesting questions from people on how that what they should do with their money. Um, I think pe- people appreciate how great it must be to have the freedom to do what you want to do every morning when you get up. And um, you know, we try to be prudent in, in terms of we're, we're really grateful for what we've accomplished. We try not to um, uh, brag about it, but I do talk about some of the facts and uh, what we did to get here on the blog, and I hope it's helpful to people. What would you say is your greatest money memory growing up? <laughs> My greatest money, money memory? Wow. Hmm. Well, I guess I'd have to point to my parents. There's no question that most of my philosophy comes from them, even though they weren't as explicit about it. Um, there's no question they lived a very prudent lifestyle. We were a military family, so we didn't have lots of money to throw around. Um, they didn't spend for show. They made us kids work. We got allowances. And um, they really optimized the things that were important to them in life. And it generally didn't involve money or big showy things. What did you do with your allowance when you were a kid? Wow, that's a good question. Well, I know I had some savings. You know, I had a maybe a few thousand dollars socked away by the time I went to college, so I must have saved some of it. But I bet I spent a lot of it on on outdoor gear and and backpacking gear and such. You know, some of the same things I enjoy spending money on, but nothing terribly expensive. So, do you think this is in your DNA? Are your other family members similar to you in the way that they look at money and spend and save? Not necessarily. You know, I, I guess part of it's DNA, but uh, part of it's personality and just individual experience and taste. So, it's it maybe a little hard to predict who's going to to wind up taking this path. Okay, I always ask this of my guests, and your wife probably might know this because she tunes in. Uh, financial failure, Darrow. I know <laughs> that this is a show glorifying the millionaires next door. They sure. have done everything right with their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, along the way, maybe you did experience a failure that was a lesson sure. learned. Can you share one with us? Oh, absolutely. You know, fortunately, I can say it was a small amount of money because that's how you want to fail. You want to do it early with small amounts and not later when it really counts. But I got sucked down the active trading path early on. I tried buying and selling some stocks during the dot-com boom, but I was doing it with a few thousand dollars. I, I remember watching some stock quadruple, you know, and wow, I must be really smart to have bought something that quadrupled. And then I watched it go all the way back down and I think I sold it and made $100 on it or something, you know. So I learned um, that way that, that actively buying and selling wasn't what you, how you wanted to build wealth over the long haul. Can you share where specifically you invest? I mean, maybe not the name of the fund, but you mm-hmm. know, is it, or index funds, ETFs, things like of that nature. Sure. Well, there's several posts on my blog about my portfolio. So about once a year, I'll just um, I'll document my entire portfolio. It's very simple. It doesn't change very often. But uh, three fourths or four fifths of it is with Vanguard funds, with these broad um, index based uh, low cost funds. And I own some big balance funds like Vanguard Wellesley Income. They're kind of old-fashioned, but they're very inexpensive and very stable and reliable. And, um, you know, again, I'll, every once a year, I'll do a post about that on my blog for people who are interested. And now that you're in your 50s, what's your investment mix like? Are you still relatively uh, active with equities or have you taken it down a notch? 
Well, now I've been fairly conservative for the last decade, and that was part of why we did well is because I had a very high allocation to bonds, or relatively high, and bonds did very well through the 2000s. So I've always been around 50-50 stocks and bonds. I may be a hair more conservative right now. I think we're more like 45% stocks. And that allocation has worked really well for me. Uh, it's just been a nice, balanced, stable kind of allocation that still has gotten some growth because of the stocks. And um, it, you know, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Everyone's going to have to decide on their own risk level, but that's worked very well for me over the long haul. Okay, let's talk success. Mm-hmm. What is your so-money moment, a pinnacle of financial success for you and your family that you felt you, – you just remember this and you refer to this sometimes when – you know, you want to feel good. Hmm. Wow. Well, I guess I guess I would have to say retiring early. You know, realizing finally that yeah, we have we're really financially independent. We can do whatever we want in life, and it's a function of the fact that we don't need a lot, that we've lived modestly, and also we've saved a great deal. And just getting to that point where we could write our own ticket and do whatever we wanted, I think that was a great feeling. Number one financial habit. What's a good millionaire next door money habit, Darrow, that you practice regularly with consciousness that helps to keep your finances healthy? Sure. I've written about watching out for recurring expenses, and I think that's a really critical thing. Anytime you commit to a monthly expense, whether it's a mortgage or a rent or a car payment or a gym membership, a magazine subscription, you name it. But you need about 300 times that amount in an account or an investment to pay for that expense over retirement. So it's better to think of those recurring expenses as a really big number that you've got to save instead of some monthly bill. And if you take on too many of those, you're basically locking in a lifestyle that you've got to support. And so it's not that they're all bad. It's just you want to be very conscious about taking on any regular expense. How did you come up with times 300? That comes from the old 4% rule, which might even be a little too liberal, but it's good enough for our purposes. Um, So the 4% rule, uh, if you invert that, you need 25 times a given amount saved up to provide for that in retirement. And then uh, monthly expense are 12 months in a year. So 12 times 25 is 300. So that's where that multiplier comes from. What have you given up because of this calculation that was really a wake-up call for you? Well, I mean, on the the cheap side, magazines. I'm sorry we haven't supported any magazines in decades. Um, I just didn't, you know, it was a lot of money that I needed to have in the bank to pay for those and a lot of extra work to read them. So that's a simple one. Uh, a big one it would be mortgage. We we did not live in a big fancy house. It was a median priced house. We got it paid off in ten years, so that was a, a big regular expense that we got rid of as soon as we could. I'm curious. Did you mark the the moment when you crossed the million dollar threshold? And if you remember that moment, where were you? <laughs> what were you doing? Yeah. What, what what happened? Oh yeah, that was a big deal. I've crossed it twice because I crossed it right before the Great Recession. And that was very difficult to know that we were quite close to retiring, but two issues. One, the market was diving, and two, my son uh, hadn't focused on the college decision, and so we really didn't know how much that was going to cost. So I had two really big variables there that I was dealing with right about the time we crossed that threshold, and I couldn't pull the plug. I had to stay at my job another four years, actually, after that point. 
And so the market went way down. We went underneath that million dollar mark for a year or two. And then we came back and crossed it finally for good. And I was able to make the decision. We got clarity on the college decision. Um, but it all required patience. Absolutely. And and a devotion, you know, I think, again, it's it's very psychological. It's understandable. People pulled out of the market at that point. I was fearful yeah. as well, uh, especially if you're approaching retirement. You're like, I'm just going to cut my losses now. I don't want to lose any more mm-hmm. money. Uh, but you had faith. Yeah, and it was that climbing metaphor again. I actually, I knew if I pulled out, I wouldn't be financially independent. I wouldn't be able to retire. If I hung in, I had a shot at it. So the only way out was up. All right, Darrow, I asked this of all my guests. This is the portion of the interview where I actually, it's not, they're not questions. They're fill in the blanks mostly. Okay. <laughs> First thing that comes to your mind, the key is to okay. not really overthink it. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, now you feel mm-hmm. maybe you've already won the lottery, but let's talk about mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars, Powerball money. The first mm-hmm. thing I would do is. Oh, I would, I would. Definitely do some sort of uh, foundation or charitable, uh, you know, foundation focused on a set of issues that were important to me. You know, that, that's the benefit of we really have everything we need. So if I got extra in that order, I would try to do something big in the world with it. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better or both is? Oh, dining out. We love to do that. See, even millionaires next door will dine out. Sure, sure. But to an extent, right? You're not going out every night, yeah. right? Yeah, we have a budget for it, mm. actually. That's yeah. an interesting concept, a millionaire with a budget. People might not think yeah. that. That's, again, a millionaire next door quality. They, we actually have budgets, people. Yep. One of my biggest guilty pleasures that I spend a lot of money on, now, this may not apply to you, but I'm very curious. Do you have a guilty pleasure, something that you spend on just because you enjoy it? You surely enjoy it. Oh, well, on the small side, chocolate is great. On the big side, I do buy a lot of outdoor gear. That's what we love to do, and they're great experiences that it brings. So we own really nice stuff, and we use it. The one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? Probably passive index investing and and understanding that keeping your expenses low and and staying invested across the whole market for the long term is is the best way to build wealth. And nobody really discovered that very well until 10 or 15 years ago. Right. Even you learned Mm -hmm. that the hard way, like you shared earlier. Uh, When I donate money, I like to give to blank because? Well, my favorite causes are actually um, preserving land. I think that has the biggest impact on the uh, the environmental questions in the world that are important to me. So I I believe in in putting money into uh, saving land in its natural state. I think that helps everybody in the long run. Are there specific organizations that are best for this? Uh, The Nature Conservancy is at the top of my list, yeah. Great. And last but not least, I'm Darrow Kirkpatrick. Retired at 50, millionaire next door. I'm so money because? Because I lived on less than I spent and uh, invested the rest wisely. Is that really all it takes? Uh, That's it. Yeah, living on less than you make and investing it wisely. That's the equation. No one's going to get there without following that equation. And now you're enjoying the fruits of your labor in New Mexico. Is -hmm. that a good place to retire, by the way? Should Should I put this on the list? Yeah, I think it's high on the list. Uh, it's a beautiful, uh, really unique, diverse place with a reasonable cost of living if you play your cards right. 
Daryl, thank you so much for sharing your story. You are our very first Millionaire Next Door this week, and uh, you kicked us off well. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Farnoosh. I'm honored. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Darrow, his website is caniretireyet.com. We have all this information at somoneypodcast.com where you can get the transcript from this great interview as well as the comments and all transcripts and comments from previous episodes. And if you have a question for me, Every Saturday and Sunday, I answer your questions on Ask Farnoosh. So whatever's on your money mind or your career mind, send away. Go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. And if you'd like to connect with me one-on-one for a 15-minute free money session, leave a review on iTunes. Every Saturday at the top of the show, I select one recent reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. So looking forward to connecting with my next client, my next free client very, very soon. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. Stay tuned for another fresh Millionaire Next Door episode tomorrow. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. So money.